0: Love Talk Radio.
1: and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host Ted O'Dorico. We've got a great show for you tonight. We're going to be starting off here in just a few moments with a the very first uh, coaches' corner uh, panel, if you will, of uh, 2018. And uh, we're just waiting for everybody to come on board. But uh, this is going to be uh, hopefully the first of many great panel discussions this season. And in a few minutes, I'll, I'll introduce everybody. And then a little bit later on in the broadcast, I'm going to be joined by my very special guest this evening, uh, Dan Pincus. He's the founder of the World Golf Network, and he's uh, based uh, out of the New Jersey, New York area. And we're going to talk to him on the second half of the show. But let me just remind everybody, of course, that's tuning in live, uh, that we're live here from 6 to 8 p.m. Central or 7 to 9 for those of you out on the East Coast and 4 to 6 for those of you out in California time. Uh, and you can find us going to blogtalkradio.com. And up in the search key, just type Golf Talk Live, and that will take you there uh, on the main page. And for some reason, if you can't listen live uh, during the 6-8 broadcast tonight, uh, just scroll down to that page. Go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Golf Talk Live and scroll down to the on-demand section. All of the shows, of course, are auto-recorded, so you can listen to the uh, recorded version in its entirety uh, a little bit later on when it's convenient for you. But I want to thank all of the folks for joining live tonight. And uh, you can also uh, catch the show on iTunes.com, Stitcher.com, and now TuneIn.com as well. Uh, just go to the podcast section and just again type in Golf Talk Live, and that will get you there as well. So you can listen to uh, the show on a variety of different social media outlets. Um, always update, uh, speaking of social media, on Facebook. Go to Golf Talk Live blog uh, to get it there. Also on my personal page Puerto Rico and uh, several other pages as well on Facebook. Or you can also follow me on Twitter at TedAndBuckCEO, CEO is in capital letters. I'm also on LinkedIn.com. Uh, again, under my personal name, uh, you can find us there as well. Um, so lots of great places to, to tune in and, and uh, hear about the show. And uh, if you want to call in anytime during the live broadcast, you're always welcome to do so. The number to call is area code 646-716-4667. Uh, or you're welcome to email in questions or comments to me uh, here at uh, ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And if you're somebody that's interested in coming on the show but maybe uh, haven't been on here or maybe you'd like to come back on, you've been on here for a few years, uh, you're welcome to email me there as well at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. Now, as I mentioned, I have a, a great panel lined up for this evening, and one of them's already here. Uh, the other two uh, haven't uh, shown up yet. Hopefully, uh, they won't be too much longer, but let me just introduce everybody, and then uh, I'll uh, sort of begin the discussion a little bit, and when the others uh, come on board, uh, then we'll get them to chime in. Um, first up, of course, is Bill Abrams. He's a PGA professional and owner and director of instruction uh, of uh, Golf Solutions Academy in Belmar Woods in Crete, Illinois, and also at the Carolina Club in Margate, Florida. Uh, joining me here right now is Jamie Zimron. She's a speaker, instructor, body worker, and consultant, and a fifth-degree black belt in Aikido. Uh, she's also a Class A LPJ Teach professional, a corporate and conference speaker, executive trainer and coach, and speaker for Vistage International and TEC Canada, which is the executive committee. And then uh, hopefully rounding out the panel is going to be Chuck Evans. Uh, he's a Golf Magazine Top 100 teacher, uh, Golf Digest, Top uh, one of the top teachers in America, and a Top 50 Growth of the Game teacher as well. And he's also the owner of Chuck Evans Golf. Um, so... Jamie, well, welcome to the show, and uh, hopefully the other guys will be joining us shortly. Uh, Welcome back to uh, Golf Talk Live and the Coach's Corner panel.
2: Well, thanks, Ted. It's great to be here, and hard to believe it's already March 1st of 2018, but here we are. So uh, golf season everywhere is getting close, and it's good to be back. Thank you.
1: Well, it's an honor to have you uh, come back every year and always enjoy your input into the show. And as I said, I'll keep an eye out for... Uh, the other two, hopefully, I'm, uh, you know, as I've mentioned many times on the show, Jamie, you know, I know a lot of you guys uh, are very, very busy uh, during the day, giving lessons and and uh, you know, doing business and that sort of thing. So I know sometimes uh, you can get caught a little bit short trying to get home in time to jump on the show. So I always appreciate and thank you guys for all of your uh, your efforts. And uh, I know sometimes these things happen, but as I said to you, uh, Jamie, we'll wing it if necessary. <laughs> And uh, uh, we'll catch up with the guys another time if need be. But All right, so here's what this discussion was going to be uh, tonight, uh, Jamie. And we'll start things off. Um, I talked about uh, the five senses. I had mentioned this to you. And there's five senses, really, that we all have as human beings. And they are uh, as follows. Uh, we obviously have a taste, sight, touch, smell, and sound. But on the Coach's Corner panel tonight, we're going to discuss some other senses commonly talked about in golf, like instinct, feel, and visualization. And we're going to sort of break it down into various aspects of the game. And I may have to to shoulder a little bit of the load myself. But what I wanted you to talk about, and we'll start from sort of the putting green first and work our way back. And here's what I want you to do, Jamie. Um, I want to give you putting, but also the mental side of the game as well. And what I want you to do is this: talk about sort of the feelings that you want your, your students to sort of instill Um, through your instruction and then sort of walk us through what you want them to to be able to visualize, not only during the lessons, but also when they get out on the course and put things. And then we're going to talk a little bit about what instinct develops through some of the, the training and the teaching that we provide to them out on the golf course. So let's start with putting first, and then we'll work our way into sort of the mental side of the game. So talk about first, if you wouldn't mind, Jamie, a little bit about feel. What are you trying to get your students to feel on the putting green Uh, give us maybe some examples of what you want them to feel and what you want them to particularly notice uh, while they're there. And then talk about some of the visualization you want them to sort of create through the lessons, but also on their own ultimately. And then we'll, we'll touch on instinct.
2: Okay. That's a, this is a great topic and a lot of fun to talk about actually. So, um, well, you know, the first thing is in terms of feel on the putting green itself is to think about uh, the holding the club, and we talk to our students a lot about having a kind of a light grip pressure and tension right. in the hands really kind of kills that. So that's the first yeah. thing is just to really, you know, really get a good feel of the club uh, with without too tight of a grip. And I think you need to fall in love with your putter. Kind of, it's very subjective. And as we know, there are so many different kinds of putters out there. So... Fall in love with your putter. The weight of it. How does the club head feel? How does it look to you? There are a lot of different designs, and some people prefer blade type of designs. Some people like more of the mallet and all of the kind of almost Star Wars looks <laughs> to the putter uh, right. these days. But <laughs> kind of a lot, a lot of club behind it. Uh, all putters are trying to help us line up, and you know. Um, on a line to the target with the ball in the center of the club face, what we would call the sweet spot, and then to be able to mm-hmm. you know, keep the club, uh, club head coming through square on line, whether you take it straight back or have a little arc on the way back. We know we need to square the club up and follow through on the line uh, so the ball rolls on the line we're intending. So that's the first thing, I think, is the feel of the club and the feel in our hands, uh, the look. And just it's a very subjective thing again. Uh, Do you love your putter or do you feel uncomfortable with it? We actually have a lie angle uh, in the way that the shaft comes up towards us. So that, you know, we're at a comfortable, proper distance that feels really good to us standing from the ball. And do you like, uh, people need to know if they prefer the shaft is uh, center shafted or shafted at the heel. So, again, there's no right answer, but that's a subjective thing. And I think people need to give themselves a lot of permission to really like their putter. Um, Then the next thing I would say is around reading greens. And typically we think of that as a really visual experience. And of course, you you want to look at the line, and look at the breaks, and look at the slopes, and look at the the uh, the grain, and all of that. But a lot of green reading comes about through your feet. So if people can sensitize their feet, that really helps in understanding the slope. Um, and you know so which is going to help with how much the break, uh, which way the ball's going to break the putt 's going to break, how much, and so I always recommend that people even take a whole tour from behind their ball and then walk up on one side up uh, behind the flagstick, have a look and a feel from there, keep feeling with the feet as they walk back to their ball down the other side of the putt, so that they 've done a full a full basically ellipse (laughs) um, back to their golf ball and get the feel with their feet. So those are a few things for starters.
1: Yeah. And, and I think, you know, as you said, I think it's a good idea and this is why you see so many of the professionals on tour, you know, you'll see them sort of basically do a, a 360 around the golf ball is that's what they're trying to do is with their feet. They're trying to get an idea um how the, the greens are undulating and where where the uh break is going to be and and you know are they are they putting on a downslope? i mean obviously they know through looking at their yardage book and and playing practice rounds they have a sense of of how the thing is but but ultimately that's what they're trying to do is walking around uh different eye angles and different sides of the of the, the the cup and their golf ball to sort of sense that through their feet as you said so that's part of the field and and you raised a great point because this is something that a lot of people um i think really overlook when you know everybody spends a lot of time getting fit for their for their clubs whether you know be their irons or their or their um uh woods or metals if you will but a lot of people don't spend very much time um really getting the, the right putter and everybody's different as you said there's everything from the very basic blade uh, to as you put it, uh, a very star wars looking uh, uh, mallet or or other um, putting device out there, so that 's a very key thing as well and and what would you what tips would you give um, for somebody to to decide what's, what 's what they 're going to be looking at and what they should be considering when making a a purchase for for a new putter.
2: Well, I think that people don't necessarily realize that, number one, a putter has loft. It's only a couple of degrees, but that's something important. You know, it's not just a complete flat face. And then putters have length. So some people really like to have a putter that's shorter. They feel just more comfortable. They can kind of get closer to the ball. Uh, some people like a longer putter. Uh, so you're looking at the length of the shaft. You're looking at the, the angle that it sort of comes up at you, which is also going to determine the distance that you are from the ball. And that is some factors that can affect that could be your own height. That could be the condition of your back, how comfortable you are bending over or not. Um, you know, we saw Michelle Wee when she developed her tabletop. Style of putting, and right. I just happen to have um, have heard uh, from you know some pros that she has difficulty with her eyesight, and it's really important that people get their eyes over the target line, um, and not past the ball, not too far, uh, you know, sort of beneath the ball, um, closer to themselves. You right. want your eyes pretty much over the line uh, so that you can then move the club head parallel along that line and be able to roll the ball straight up the, your intended line. So you know, she created this, this tabletop that brought her tall body closer to the ground, closer to the putting surface, and that helped her get her eyes directly over the ball. Um, so that's my understanding. I mean, I didn't really get to talk to her about it, but that's how I understand how she developed that and what some of the factors were. Whatever it takes. I mean, that was sort of unsustainable, probably in terms of her back. Um, you Don't know, to be so bent over. But you know, these are these are considerations. And again, the the weight of the club head is really really important. And some people are involve their wrists more in their putting. I still tend to. You know, I grew up way back in the kind of old Arnie Jack days when it was really wristy putting. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, we teach we teach the shoulder pendulum and keep your wrists out of it. Uh, the less you sort of alter uh, or move the club face, if you can keep the club face square through the stroke, you're going to have a better chance of hitting your putt squarely. So, the, you know, the idea of too much wrist in the, in the putt uh, tends to offset the club face from being square, making square impact. But that being said, some people – uh, like to put a little more with their wrists. And um, some people like a heavy putter. It can help them to stabilize their wrists. Um, you know, again, these things are, are so subjective. And even the grip, I mean, we've got claw grips, and we've got, um, you know, we, we have the... Um, well, you know, they're now outlawed, but, um, you know, kind of the, the taller putters and all. Some people even stand completely to the side of the ball that they can see and feel yep. the putt and the line better. So there's no rules. There's no, I mean, outside of the rules of golf that you have to comply with, there are no real rules right. that say you need to do a reverse overlap grip or you need to do a claw grip or you should do a, 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 a you know, left-hand low if you're a righty or right-hand low if you're a lefty um, kind of a grip. That is all, again, so subjective. And the one thing is, you know, people, I encourage people to experiment if they're having trouble putting. Um, That being said, I think you can over-experiment and change your putting grip or change your putter too much, and you never get comfortable. So I think the idea is just to really find what works for you, what feels good for you maybe change it up once in a while, but for the most part, I think whatever helps you feel comfortable and confident, uh, and those are some of the factors that are involved.
1: Yeah, and, and it's interesting that you mentioned that. Um, it, it's a personal thing because what, what might work for you might not necessarily work for me or another golfer. Um, there are certainly basics that we want to instill uh, when we're teaching uh, our students, but at the same time, there's room and flexibility, again, within the, the rules of golf, that they can modify, um, you know, whether they're standing to the side a little bit, whether they're using a slightly longer uh, putter or a heavier um, um, head of the putter or whatever the case may be. Um, as long as they're conforming, it's USGA conforming, um, you know, virtually the sky's the limit. Um, and we see
2: a lot of Let me add one more factor in there that's that's important, and that is eye dominance. Um <clears throat> So, most people tend to have a dominant eye, and depending if you're right handed or left-hand and which eye that is, that may be the eye that's looking down the target line or closer to the, to the cup, or it may be the other eye. So, there are, you know, most pros know kind of how to check for eye dominance, and I recommend that people get a sense of that, because that can really affect how you're seeing the, uh, seeing the line, reading the putt, and also how you're making your stroke. Um, so again, checking for eye dominance tends to be really important in putting.
1: Yeah, you're well said, and, and you're exactly right. And, and I think, you know, Jamie, this this sort of follows into, and I know you've touched a little bit on it in in the discussion here, but is the, the visualization component? I mean, obviously, we want to, you know, see the line of the pot. We want to get an idea. Uh, of the feel of the putter and things like that. But we also want our students, we want students to be able to create a visualization for a number of reasons. Uh, First off, some people learn visually. Um, You know, you can talk to a student for two hours and they might get the gist of certain things, but once you actually physically show them what they need to do or what they, uh, you know, can do to to be a successful putter, then ultimately it sort of becomes... Uh, a, a better understood uh version if you will so talk a little bit about visualization when you're working with your students um walk us through what you're trying to get them ultimately to visualize um on the putting surface when they walk up they've they've hit their approach shot they're on the green what are some of the things that you're trying to get them and instill uh, in their minds to visualize so that they in a sense get a game plan when they're on the green
2: Well, the first thing is I think even walking up to the green, I mean, you're using your eyes um, and your feet. to notice the slope uh, the slope, and what are the factors, um, the topography that's going to influence the break uh, or the straightness, as it were, of the putt. You're watching other people who you're playing with. You're watching their chips because chips actually break. And, uh, you know, if a, um, that can give you information of what your putt's going to do as it starts traveling and getting closer to the hole. Um, so, you know, you're, you're really being aware. <laughs> you're watching for that. In terms of lining up a putt and being able to make a good stroke, a couple things. One is I think it's wonderful the way the golf channel uses this technology and a lot of most of us watch the golf channel, right? And they will show the line of a putt yep. with a thick Colored line. Uh, Shirley Spork, right, one of the founders of the LPGA, who's just such a t- terrific right. teacher, and one of the founders of the teaching division. Uh, she's always telling me, "See that? See a, a neon yellow line. You want to see it really, really bright. What your line is all the way <laughs> to the cup." Uh, so I, I love that you know, neon yellow or neon orange or whatever. Now some people are spot putters. They'll find a spot. Um, so, you know, maybe a little brown spot or a, something on their way to, uh, that's on the line, rather than trying to put like all the way to the cup, um, you 'll know, find a spot that they're trying to put to that spot, let the ball roll over that. And then that's on their line to the hole. Um, Whatever it is, um, I think it's really important, uh, a visualization I like to use is kind of the train track idea, and I'll use two clubs. I'll put two irons down uh, wherever I am. Let's say I'm 20 feet from the cup, doesn't matter, or, or 30 feet from the hole. I could be eight feet away. It doesn't matter. You can use two irons and create kind of train tracks that your ball's in the middle of. And uh, granted, this is going to be kind of straight back, straight through putting, I might make the train, train tracks a little wider, if uh, um, to account for a little arc in the the backswing of the putt. But um, the idea is to roll the putt and to see the putt kind of rolling out the train tracks, rolling out the chute, straight on your chosen line for the first like two feet, shall we say? If you can get your ball rolling, head over heels, and a lot of people like to put a line, a circular line around the, um, uh, you know, the diameter of the ball. And then get the ball rolling straight, but coming out that shoot and having a visualization of the shoot, shooting straight out or out the barrel of the you know uh the rifle that's such a great thing to say at the moment <laughs> um <No>. but uh <laughs> yeah, but um, you know, but just that idea of coming straight out the shoot for the first couple feet yep. and again, you could use um. Uh, to just put two irons down and put your ball, you know, parallel to each other, put your uh, along the line that you believe the putt's going to roll and get the ball rolling online, you know, coming out the chute straight on your line. Now, the putt is going to break on its own, right? I mean, we just let nature – create the, the the bend of the putt. We don't have to steer it. That's when we get into trouble. But if we can line our feet up and line our, uh, this, our stroke up and have the visualization of coming straight out the chute, rolling straight up our line, letting nature take her course and taking the ball into the hole. And of course, people like to listen for the ball dropping in the hole. I think it's important to see the ball Uh, dropping into the cup, breaking into the cup, (laughs) dropping into the cup. Uh, Sometimes it's nice to just uh, remember that feeling as you're walking up to your putt of when you're bending over to pick the ball up out of the hole. That's another good thing to to sort of think, feel, see. So these are some of the things that I, I think are really helpful. And again, that that line that we can see that the golf channel often shows of, um, of the line of a putt, that's a good thing to visualize. And in neon, even better.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well said. And thank you, Shirley, for that, uh, for that little uh, tidbit. Uh, we, we can all learn from that as well. Um, yeah. Shirley was a great guest to have on the show. And, and I thank you for, for uh, having her come on uh, last year. Um, Jamie, let me ask you just one other thing that I want to mention too, is that, um, you know, sort of going back to feel just very quickly and then we're going to move on and, and talk a little bit about instinct, how we sort of put all this together and and add it into to our, our psyche, if you will, um, is other factors that you want to consider too are, are things like uh, the conditions. For instance, if it's, if it's breezy or, or uh, gusty, uh, you know, if the wind is a little gusty out there, these are things that we want to factor in as well. You want to feel, you know, feel that breeze. Is it Is it coming towards you when you're lining up for your putt? Is it, you know, moving left to right or right to left? Uh, Those are factors to to be aware of. Now, if it's a very mild, uh, you know, breeze, it's not usually an issue. But when you start getting a little bit gusty and things like that, that can certainly affect um, how we want to aim and set up the putt because we've got to factor in that, especially – uh, if it's if it's gusty, because you never know what's going to happen. Um, so those are things to keep in mind as well. Now, Jamie, wh- what I want to do, and this sort of falls into the mental side of things, um, one of the, you know, I think one of the things a, a better player um, develops over time, and, and certainly some players, um, you know, players like you know Jack Nicholas and Annika Sorenstam and, and many of the of the top uh, players of their time developed an instinct or an insight, if you will, almost a sixth sense. Um, obviously, you know, by playing a lot of rounds and getting out there and working on their game, it improved over time. Um, but from an instinct standpoint, talk a little bit about, again, we'll, we'll use the, the putting as an example for now, and then we're going to move into some other areas. But, um, you know, talk about how, how people can – through repetition, maybe through drills and that, can almost develop a sixth sense that when they get into a situation that maybe they've been in before, that instinct will sort of kick in. So, ah, I remember doing this on whole number such and such, and that sort of helps them prepare uh, for the challenge that they might be faced with at this time. So it gives them a little bit of insight, if you will. Talk a little bit about that from the mental side of the game, how important and what a benefit in, uh, instinct can be out on the golf course.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, well, first of all, I just want to say something about intelligence in general uh, that certainly applies, um, <clears throat> and that is this, is that we tend to think of intelligence or knowledge or what we need to do as something that we need to think about cognitively. So cognitive right. intelligence, cognitive knowing, figuring things out in a uh, rational thinking, very heady m- mind way is a part of figured out what we need to do with every shot, you know, what club to pick and, um, you know, all these kinds of things that, you know, factoring in the wind and the distance and all. Um, at the same time, I think it's really cool to realize that cognitive intelligence is one slice of the total intelligence pie, shall we say. Right. And so <laughs> right. what else, there are right. other ways that we know things. And that's what you're, you're really bringing up today. Uh, <clears throat> sixth sense, feel, gut, intuition... Uh, um, physical uh, getting getting the information in a sensate way through our feet or uh, through the feel of the breeze on the right side of our face more than the left side which tells us the direction the wind's coming Um, uh, on a hill or a slope right we can feel which way our balance is going and then that helps us to know where you know which way things are going to tend to go are they going to draw are they going to fade are they going to break this way or that way but the the principle, the idea is that there is a bigger knowing pie than cognitive rational intelligence. So you definitely want to use your thinking faculty, and at the same time, yes. use these other faculties that we're talking about today. And once you factor all of that in, and you learn about yourself, where do you get the most knowledge? What can you trust and rely on the most? Then you're... Kind of accessing the whole greater field of intelligence. So I hope that doesn't sound too California, but it's really true. <laughs> this is greater <laughs> field of intelligence. <laughs> I'm in California, no, I get to say these true. things, but it's true. <laughs> the thing is, it's true. So, that being a context, <laughs> um, to go back to your question, um, which was, I just lost your question here. We're talking about conditions and um, kind of talking about uh, can you can you develop, basically, some of these other kinds of intelligence. Um, and it's interesting. A lot of people, when they're putting, wonder about or they'll make the comment, oh, I hit it too hard. I didn't hit it hard enough. Yeah. And that's usually what they they focus on. Now, how hard you hit it or not is something that, I believe, is very hard to control. Uh, you know How hard did you hit it? I don't know. But it is possible to develop a, a feel that kind of blends these kinds of intelligence. And what I mean is that the distance a putt travels has to do mostly with the size of your putters, putting stroke. I call it use your shoes. <laughs> so um, we know we need to have a bit of acceleration on the way through a putt. Uh, and I usually say every stroke should add up to 100, say 50 back swing, 50 forward swing, maybe 45 back, 55 through, so we, have, we know that we have some acceleration. What we don't want to have is, like, 90 back and 10 coming through. That's a big decel. Right. That's a lot of fear, like, ah, uh-oh, better slow down. <laughs> or we take it back 60, and then we, like, really try to kill it, and we wail on it, and we go through 90. That's 150. So there's no ratio. There's no balance. And I think if we can start to kind of meter out and create a consistent ratio, and we know that when I say, use your shoes on a short putt, back swing to my back foot, forward swing a little bit ahead of my forward foot. Maybe that's going to give me three or four feet, a short putt, Uh, a 10, 15, 20 foot putt. Maybe I'm going outside my shoe by eight inches or 12 inches, and then I'm going forward by a matched up amount. And that way, Uh, relative also to the stimp or to the pace of of the green, we start to know what size stroke we need to make in order for the ball to roll a certain distance, cover a certain distance. And in that way we can start to meter out and gain some control over the distance of a putt. And we know distance or direction and direction are what make putts go in. And a lot of people think that we spend a lot of time trying to figure out the direction when distance is really what helps us to to uh, avoid three putts and to get most putts into the hole Um, so it is possible to start to practice in a way that you meter out and and get a consistent ratio it's a drill a lot of drills you can do to develop that kind of ratio that starts to give you a smooth and consistent putting stroke and with that you start to uh, have a real sense of of confidence and a sense of feel So that's an example I would give of uh, how you, through repetition and kind of blending the feel with a really good theory, right? Match it up, (laughs) match it up, that you can start to really improve your putting.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great, uh, well said, Jamie, you did a, a, a fantastic job. You know, this is something that I think that, you know, a lot of golfers might be sort of scratching their heads right now. And say, "Well, why do I need to know all this? And why does it matter my golf? You know, I just want to—I just want to cure that slice, or maybe I've, I'm, I'm hooking the ball, or what have you—and and, and I, I don't understand why I need to know this." What people don't realize is that these are, are skills that we develop uh, over time, just like you would in, in any job. You—you you know, when you first uh, apply for a job, you get out there. You might have some um, training uh, or. Um, exposure to a specific uh, task at hand, but until you actually get your, your hands uh, dirty or your feet wet, uh, as the case may be, um, you don't really start to develop um, those skill sets and, and until you've spent a little bit of time doing that. Well, the same is true, uh, Jamie, obviously, as we know uh, with the golf game, and that's where you can develop instinct through repetition and through uh, motions and, and that sort of thing, visualizing the shot at hand, visualizing Uh, the conditions and the circumstances that you're surrounded by and these are things that as you said um, don't have to necessarily have a great amount of thought put into it It can actually happen at at a different uh, subconscious level almost uh, over time but these are things that are important if a golfer truly wants to improve because a lot of times you know everybody gets out in the driving range or the practice uh, putting green and they're just doing the same thing over but they're not really putting any thought or or feeling into it if you will they're not you know, as you just pointed out here a few moments ago, they're not really feeling the situation. They're not walking around, testing the ground, uh, looking for those undulations, looking for uh, the break and, and that sort of thing, and testing the speeds uh, of the green and, and the, the grain of the, uh, the, the grass and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of components that go into um, becoming a better a better putter and, and golfer in general. And as you just pointed out, over time. This instinct, this sort of natural instinct develops through um, repetition and through training and, and so forth. So this is why I wanted to touch on this right at the beginning of the year, as people are you know, sort of thawing out in certain areas uh, around the world, um, and particularly up in the northeast and northwest of the United States. Um, you know, People need to start, if they truly want to improve their game, need to do certain things. And this is what I wanted to talk about, some of the things about the senses, if you will, bringing them into play. So let's um, move on if we can. can, can,
2: Sorry, go ahead. Can I say a couple things? Can I, yeah, if if I could say a couple things here? Um, You say so many interesting, stimulating things. (laughs) Uh, Always happens. I love talking with you. Uh, (laughs) So a couple things. One is I think we all marvel at tour pros who are able, they train themselves to hit a shot 62 yards or 73 yards or, 86 yards. I mean, with such specificity, 86 as opposed to 85 yards, they'll send their caddy out down the range with a baseball glove, for example, to catch their shots, right? Right. And they'll have them stand at exactly those distances. The caddy will know. And, like, we don't have to get that specific, I think. But I do think that it helps as we want to break 100 or break 90, or, you know, get down into the, uh, the teen digits or even single digits. It helps to be able to know what. A 60. What we need to do to produce a 60-yard shot, or a 70 or 80-yard shot. What size swing? What uh, what loft of club? These kinds of things. And I, these are definitely things that you know we can practice. That we can we can train ourselves. I think you know that I'm a martial artist. In fact, I just got my sixth degree black belt. Um, so I'm happy about that. Um, and one of the things that I've imported. Thank you very much. That I've imported from martial arts into my kiai golf training, Aikido kiai golf training, a couple of things. One is this notion of centeredness, really being centered and having a solid base that we're, we're connected to our legs and our feet and our balance and the ground. And we have kind of a, a stable center. So we're not swaying and moving and lifting off the ball that we're able to match up our backstroke with our forward swing these things start to give us some consistency, some regularity. I've also kind of taken this concept that we call kata. It's a Japanese word. Kata means form practice for anybody who's done some martial arts Uh, or tai chi. People see tai chi people in the park and they're doing what we call long forms and short forms. And the idea of the martial arts masters was to create a correct series of movements where the positions and the transitions, the qualities of movement are correct in this proper form. That way they could teach punches, kicks, strikes, all the other all things you do in martial arts that are actually quite complex. But when they're put into this correct form and taught as a repeating form, then the student can start to practice over and over, repeat, repeat those, those forms, those movements. And as they start to practice this kata over and over, it starts to internalize it's, and become more automatic. It's what golfers call muscle memory. And that's the right. idea of practice and repetition. So one of the things that I've done in, in Kiai Golf is that I had a realization about 20 years ago that the golf swing is actually a kata. It's a repeating form of a backswing, downswing, impact, follow-through movement. And I I thought, gosh, if I could create proper motion, and I've used a lot of the uh, sort of freeze-frame pictures of tour pros so that we know what good positions are and, you know, down the line and where where all our body parts need to be at different parts at times in the swing, how the club comes back square at impact, what's a good follow-through position. And those qualities of centeredness and balance that give timing and tempo and rhythm, moving from the lower to the upper body, like all sports do. That um, by by creating golf, uh, the golf swing is a kata. Uh, it was easier to teach, and then students can just practice the kata. Pretty soon, all these sort of mistakes uh, disappear, and uh, correct motion. People are uh, practicing in a really coherent way they're training their their muscles their their muscle memory their body mind to to produce the same correct swing motion over and over and over Uh, and one of the things the master said which i love it's one of my favorite quotes is the purpose of kata or repeating form practice is to throw away the kata you don't need it anymore now you're not thinking (laughs) about it now it's totally natural. Now you're just doing it. And that's when we start to have this natural feel when we throw away the kata, yeah? <laughs> And uh, it's a great thing, and we can rely on it. And then we're having this beautiful centered shots and this lovely free rhythm and and timing tempo to our golf swing. We have confidence that we're actually going to make centered contact and hit the ball the distance and the direction that we intend for it to go. Now that's really great. Then we start to be in more of this flow state. And it's the flow state where we have uh, a lot more access to um, the – you know uh, this greater intelligence and in, in our senses, and we feel like we can trust them. We can rely on it. You know, at first, and it's fine for beginner golfers. You're learning. You got to think about stuff. <laughs> you you got to think about it right. to even start to learn it. Where do I put my hands? What do I do with my feet? How far? I You know, it's okay to think. Um, but as you practice over and over, sort of kata-like, re- repeating correct motion, correct principles. Well, now, you know, you start to, to advance and develop. It's, it's kind of like learning to write when you're in first grade. You know, you've got to make A, A, B, B, C, C. You make a form, right, of the letter until you don't have to think about it anymore. Throw away the kata. You make your own A, B, and C. You're doing great. And then you have cursive writing, right, flowing writing. Same thing in golf. It's just the, the same kind of learning process. And then we start to be able to put our own feeling and, and all into, into what we do.
1: Yeah, well said. And, and, you know, Jamie, that's the thing is that's the key. And that, that's really, you know, what we're trying to talk about here is, and as, as you very eloquently pointed out, you know, our, our beginning golfers uh, that maybe have only been out a few times um, and, and don't really, haven't really developed those skill sets yet, this is something through, through practice and through the learning process and trial and error, if you will, um, are, they're going to develop. These, these different senses, and this is why you know, I wanted to talk about this tonight, and you know, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the other areas of the game, um, the, obviously the full swing, and even things like chipping and, and pitching, because there's a lot of things, a lot of thought, a lot of visualization, and a lot of feel that comes into play, and then ultimately once we wrap all that together, then that's, again, through the repetition uh, and practice, we develop a natural, if you will, instinct. Um, through that repetition. And so this is why I wanted to talk about this um, tonight, Jamie, uh, on the Coach's Corner panel, because this is something that a lot of people don't think about. They spend far too much time um, working on areas of their game that are not yielding results because they don't know what to do. Um, and Or they'll take instruction, but then they don't practice what they've learned. They'll go back to the same old mistakes um, because it's comfortable, because as you said, they've they've worked in that kata for a while, um, but it hasn't served them well. It's not it's not a, a proper uh, function or movement. So they just keep making those same mistakes, and they wonder why there's no level of improvement. So we want to make sure that through all aspects of the game, and you know, obviously I started with putting first, um, but even the full swing, and and you t- touched a little bit about that, but even in the chipping and, and pitching areas of the game, we want to make sure that they're developing a feel uh, for those different motions um, and ingraining through visualization and through feel the different areas of the the game. And ultimately, once they put all that together, um, again, as I said, they wrap it up, they're going to start developing some, some natural instincts. So just touch about some things, you know, with, let's say, the full swing as an example, Jimmy. What are we trying to get our students to feel... And and what do we want them to visualize them them doing? You know, do we want them to be focusing on, you know, maybe a one piece takeaway as, as many have said, or um, do we want to have a different visualization for for our students? What are we trying to get it through our messages? What are we trying to get across to our students?
2: Well, that's a good question. Uh, again, you know, things are, I think need to be kind of individualized. I like to see a person swing. And it takes me one swing, honestly, one or two swings, and I've already got a really good sense of what's going on with the person. And that, right. what do I mean? So, um, you know, we could say one piece takeaway. Well, okay. Um, well, if I see a swing, and, I mean, people email me a swing or send me a video. I can see them on Skype, much less see them in person, um, when, which is always optimal, but not necessary at all. We can see right away, uh, is the issue one of fitness uh, is a person too tight to can 't make the rotational movements? Uh, are they lacking certain core strength? Are they moving and swaying uh, or lifting up? are there, uh, the muscles around their elbows may, might be tight? no kidding, and therefore they can 't extend their arms for a one piece you know for down the line on the back swing or they lift through the forward swing they can 't extend their arms completely till the end of the impact zone um, So, you know, it could be a fitness issue. Uh, It could be that they're using too much upper body. That's a really common thing that I see in the full swing, Uh, throughout the golf swing, really, but especially in full swing. Uh, Too much upper body, not understanding the use of the lower body and the legs and feet in the golf swing. We often think that there isn't footwork, per se, like there is, for example, in football or baseball or tennis, right? Obviously, there's a lot of footwork because people right. are running around and doing things. We're just standing there, so what do you mean there's right. footwork? We're, you know, we're not even dancing, right? <laughs> um, but uh, right, there's a right. lot of footwork in uh, there's a lot of footwork in golf. Uh, which way your feet are positioned, right, uh, at a dress? Are they in, in a position where it's hard to where the, the hips are actually locked because the feet are too straight and square and the person can't turn their hips? Um, are they too wide open? and so people are just you know sort of lacking balance um the a lot of times people do it i call it kind of bass backwards where they lift their their forward target side foot on their way back they lift that off the ground and then as they come through they swing down with their arms and the back foot the trail foot doesn't turn because you really ought to be up on your tiptoe with your, your heel turned with the back foot. That turn of the heel turns the hips, lets the shoulders turn, lets the clothing right. hands fly through. So sometimes people do that in an inverted way. That's, that's footwork. Uh, sometimes people, their their uh, back hip kind of, uh, I always say their their belt loop goes sideways rather than their pocket their, mm-hmm. of their their the back cheek <laughs> um, turning back, which would right. indicate that they've had some hip turn rather than some sway. So, you know, these are things that I see right off the bat. Uh, stay, for So someone may need to really stabilize their, their back leg, the right leg for a, a right-handed golfer, the left leg for a left-handed golfer. That's the side that you're turning into and loading up all of your energy and your power and your backswing, which then you want to unload and, you know, sort of spring-like and uh, uncoil, and boom, uh, you can launch the ball from there and release that energy. So you know it may be stabilizing that back leg. it may be uh, turning the back foot uh, through through into the follow through so that there is some release of the of the club and the the body. It could be issues with the arms and hands a lot of times it 's the connection between the lower body and the core rotational movement and then the arms and hands and the the club on that sort of peripheral connected outer circle of the golf swing so you know you need connection and that could be the issue uh, you know it again it, it depends it, but for me and most i think pros it doesn't take a lot a lot of swings to be able to really pinpoint a few key areas for each individual that working on those things would really make a huge difference in their golf swing and you know and in the shots yeah, they you're, hit, you're, and ultimately that... the scores that they that they come that they come in
1: with yeah, you're you're exactly right, and and this is something that you know, as professionals, you know, we're trained to look for. This is the things that we want to you know, we're not looking um, sometimes necessarily at the whole swing. We might break it down into different areas that we're um, paying special attention to because. Ultimately, when we see where the ball is traveling, it gives us a general sense of what's happening. It's not just a matter of whether the club face is square or not. It could be, um, you know, a lot of other factors could be involved. So, you know, we're looking for these things and and through proper rotation and proper footwork. And, you know, it, it's like, you know, for every action, there's an equal uh, reaction. And a lot of people don't understand that. So they get caught up in, you know, trying to look, like they've got the perfect swing, but a lot of times there might be very small, but nevertheless flaws within their swing that are going to creep up and create problems and ultimately launch larger problems as time goes on, especially as we age. You know, our body doesn't always, in some cases, doesn't always move as as fluidly as we would like. So if we've got a problem and we're not correcting or isolating those specific uh, issues – then they're just going to keep getting bigger and bigger as time goes on. And as our our, our body uh, ages and so forth, those problems that were maybe minor in the beginning have now exacerbated and becoming much bigger. So uh, great points that you bring up there. Um, you know, you know I, Jamie, on, I, I, on, go ahead.
2: I had an experience. You're talking about, you know, aging and uh, could be injuries, but our bodies are a factor, right? And all our bodies go through <laughs> individual things, right? Um, so I right. actually was in San Diego earlier this week and played golf with a friend who's also has done some some lessons with me. She's a martial arts friend, and uh, it was interesting. She's she's really doing well, and she has a nice. Um, uh, I don't know, a nice um uh, matched upness uh, shall I say to her swing. She's really getting some nice tempo and rhythm. Um and I've talked to her about keeping her for, she's right-handed, her forward foot or left foot down on on her back swing and she doesn't do it. Well, that's it turns no. out um that you know she's had two hip replacements. And I sometimes forget about that, and I have not seen her on the golf course for, I think, a year or something. Well, she needs to do that because with her two hip replacements, that's just something she needs to do in order to actually make a good rotational uh, movement uh, in in her backswing. So it's okay that she does that. However... Uh, So what we did, we just talked about stability. I gave her the word stability. We looked at it. We talked about it. And we did some visualization with it. And um, that was the word that just keyed her in. And she kept saying all throughout the round, wow, every time I think of stability, it just helps me. And she started hitting just some gorgeous golf shots. She really played nicely. um There were some shots that were just amazing. And in the beginning, she's like, "God, I love the way your ball sounds. It's just, it's just that kind of center, that sweet sound. All, I want it. I want it." By yep. the fourth, fifth hole, she was getting it. The whole rest of the round, I mean, she just had this wonderful sound. She was making such great contact. And every time, she kept saying, "It's just the stability. It's the stability." Now I have in my mind you got to keep your foot <laughs> down to get stability, but she doesn't. It was the right. concept. <laughs> it's the concept and the feel right. in her own body uh, that, that of stability and balance, and and then that sense of this is and knowing that that's a determining factor to bring the club back in a consistent way and make solid. Centered sweet spot contact with the ball, so she wants that sound. And now we talked about how you're going to get it, with, and why stability and balance and groundedness is important. Centeredness. And once she got that, it didn't matter exactly what her feet were doing, and we just worked with her own her own particular body situation. And poof, she just played really nicely the rest of the way. And she knew when it was off and when yeah, of I- it was on.
1: Right, and you raised a very interesting point there because there are going to be circumstances. And that, again, that's something that we as instructors have to be mindful of as well. There are going to be circumstances where, uh, whether it be a, a, a permanent injury or uh, maybe past surgery that impedes certain movements, um, sometimes a player may have to make um, some adjustments in order to, to compensate, and that's obviously what, what she had done uh, to be able to compensate for, for the hip operations. And there may be other issues as well. So, having the information available for us as instructors is critical. So, when somebody comes to take a lesson, it's good to know that information uh, up front so that we can do a proper assessment and to be able to do, um, you know, give them a remedy, if you will. And and obviously, it was successful in, in her particular case that you were able to to um, take note of what she had experienced physically and the changes that she needed to make. And then you were basically able to, through that, diagnose some issues that could ultimately make some positive changes for her as well. So um, great, uh, great story. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Well, I think we, you know, we
2: tend to focus to, to your topic around feel and sensing and intuition and instinct, all those things. I think that there are some principles, universal principles by which, Our bodies work and that energy is transferred from, uh, you know, from one object to another, from a body to a golf club, from a golf club to a golf ball. (laughs) And uh, these, you know, they're just these principles that we kind of, if we can adhere to those principles, so this principle of stability or balance or centeredness or groundedness or relaxed power or kind of coil and release. Uh, These things are principles, and then things work well when we adhere to those principles. What happens so much of the time is that we are much more uh, taught to pay attention to mechanics and technique. And I'm not saying that mechanics and technique aren't important, but we sometimes pay so much attention to them, and we don't tie them to the principles uh, and so we don't emphasize to our students and to ourselves, even in our own minds and, uh, enough, that we need to practice the principles. Now, how we get there, it does help to have certain kinds of mechanics and techniques, but sometimes we have to modify them because of our aches or pains or right. injuries or surgeries or age or or <laughs> body type or, you know, whatever it is, a predilection, right? We all have our own varying right. predilections. Um, so, if we can start to really pay even more attention uh, much more than I think we do to the principles, adhering to the principles, and then uh, having our, and understanding how technique and mechanics relates to those principles, understanding how adjustments that we may need to make uh, in the mechanics so that we can still accomplish those principles, then I think we start to do better. But so I think I'm I'm saying that it's uh, that uh, the feel and the intuition, the instinct, those things are much more related to these universal principles and they are encoded in our bodies and our our soma, our somatic, our our bodies. They're encoded in kind of the way energy works. And, you know, golf is is energy. Everything is transferring energy from here to there, right, to move something. Um, So if we can start to really pay more attention to those principles and then, um, kind of, uh, you, you know, you'll see even on tour there isn't exactly one swing. I mean, Jim Furyk reroutes his his club in a way that nobody else does. Yeah, but he does get back right. <laughs> to a position that he can deliver that does follow the principles. And so, so long as he does that, it doesn't matter how he routed his club. Um, and I think right. that's what and- we need to pay more attention to, both as 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 teachers, as students, uh, just as players, and as people, it's really what are these natural principles that we can uh, uh, join and align and harmonize ourselves with, so that uh, you know we come out better.
1: Yeah, and and th- those are all great points. You know, that's uh, just to sort of sum it up. You know, I, I think a lot of times, Jamie, that that we work with, um, especially new students. Um, tend to focus on on things that really uh, are not going to yield the results that are needed. And, you know, we all have to learn um, from the very basics um, as we go along. And then through, uh, again, through practice and and repetition, we develop, uh, you know, a certain skill set, if you will. Um, But we have to make sure that we're doing um, and adopting those sort of universal principles, as you pointed out. And then over time, the feel and the visualization of and sort of better understanding of what it is that we need to do to accomplish and be successful out in the golf course, um, you know, will come in time. And, and again, as I mentioned earlier, that sort of brings back to that insight uh, and, and instinct, if you will, um, o- over time. But so I guess what I, I want the listeners out there to, to take away from this discussion tonight, um, Jamie, is this, is... When you go out and you get ready to start the season, for those of you that maybe have already started, um, it's never too late, but for those of you that maybe are still in a bit of a winter thaw and, and waiting to, to, you know, itching to get on the golf course, don't just run to the driving range and, and get a, a bucket or so of, of golf balls and just start hitting them. You know, put some thought into it. Go and see your, your local professional and, and get a, a, a sort of a spring tune-up and a refresher because a lot of people don't take advantage of the winter. They're not practicing And they're sort of, you know, couch potatoes for four or five months, depending on the circumstances. And they're not really, um, you know, fresh. They're not thinking about fitness that, you know, they haven't been for several months. Now they get out there and, you know, the injuries come early in the season because they haven't been properly prepared. And, you know, suddenly they're sitting on the sidelines for a couple of months because their back's bothering them or their foot's bothering or whatever the case may be, Uh, or they're just not playing very well, but they've done nothing to prepare themselves. So, you know, a lot of things that Jamie, that you talked about tonight are things that, that the folks can, can do to prepare themselves both physically and mentally as they get ready to start this new golf season. What a great discussion, yeah. today, Jamie. I want to, you know, I want to thank you for, uh, for being on the the coaches corner panel. I'm very excited this season. Um, uh, unfortunately, uh, Bill and, and Chuck weren't able to, to join us tonight and, uh, not to worry. We, we, uh, I think did a great job in getting the message out there. What I wanted to get out tonight anyway. So, um, but thank you, uh, Jamie. I'm going to give you just a moment or two, if you want, just to let the folks know how they can get in touch with you. If they're interested uh, in maybe continue discussion with you, about how they can improve their game or anything that you want to quickly uh, mention. If there's something coming up, a special event that you want to get out there, uh, the floor is yours for the next couple of minutes.
2: Well, thanks a lot, Ted. Um, yeah, and I'm sorry the others didn't, weren't able to join us. I look forward to uh, more more interchange with them. But uh, it was great talking with you and uh, having a chance to share some of these things. I did want to mention one more sense that we didn't mention, which is common sense. So um, right. <laughs> that's another whole story, <laughs> right? But uh, we really need common sense. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, people can find me on uh, my website on the web at... Uh, www.kiagolf.com, K I A I golf.com. I also don't mind phone calls, and my uh, direct line and uh, cell line, voicemail and all that's uh, pretty reachable, is 760 492 4653, which is golf, 760 492 golf. I do have a really wonderful evergreen a classic video uh, instructional DVD series, and it's got some companion booklets, and it goes through golf fitness, katas, swing patterning, and these universal principles, which I really highly recommend people get. And if somebody wants to give me a direct email through my website or give me a call, I will be very happy to add a personal uh, free swing analysis and kind of go over that with folks, um, which I, I hope will give them a, a good leg up or uh, swing up <laughs> on the on the new golf season. So um, you know, I'm I'm always traveling and doing all kinds of um, seminars and speaking and clinics and golf schools and happy to arrange things with you. I'm, I'm out in California. Where I'm living now in snow country, but uh, always uh, whether it's through Sky Video and travels, um, always available and all always happy to, to talk with people and, and work with, with anybody who's interested to uh, explore this really uh, holistic route that really incorporates all the classical golf mechanics around these universal principles.
1: Well said. Well, Jamie, as always, thank you very much for joining me uh, tonight on the Coach's Corner panel. I appreciate it, as always, and I look forward to having you come back the next time. Uh, keep doing all the great things that you're doing, and have a great uh, weekend.
2: Thank you so much, Ted. Okay, thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. All
1: right. right. Bye-bye. All right, that was uh, Jamie Leno-Zimron on the Coach's Corner panel tonight. Uh, What a great great discussion. And uh, always... Look forward to uh, having some interesting discussions on the Coaches Corner panel. And again, unfortunately, Bill and, and Chuck weren't able to join us this evening, but uh, we'll get them back here on another, uh, another episode. All right, I, I've got a, a really interesting guest uh, tonight, Dan Pincus. He's the founder of the World Golf Network, and I'm just going to tell you a little bit about uh, his uh, organization, and then I'm going to bring him on, and we're going to have a great discussion on the second half of the show tonight. Uh, the World Golf Network, of course, was established in 2003. Uh, It's a premier business networking organization that gives uh, exclusive membership uh, 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 curated experience that uh, helps grow their business. Uh, They begin by understanding each member company's goals and then uh, access uh, their comprehensive and proprietary database in order to connect members with relevant entities. Uh, Through golf, including monthly outings and private rounds, as well as a series of social gatherings, World Golf Network creates the ideal environment uh, for effective networking. Uh, Members are carefully selected through an exclusive application process that ensures all participants are decision-makers ready to do business. Uh, Within each chapter, which will include up to 100 businesses, there are never more than four members representing the same industry. Uh, Members need not be golf-savvy to join the organization with foursomes based on each player's skill. Some groups play competitive rounds, while others uh, maybe play best ball. At select outings, the World Golf Network Pro uh, provides lessons for players at any level So without any further hesitation Let me uh, bring out the founder of World Golf Network, uh, Dan Pincus uh, Good hi, evening. Ted, how are you? Good evening, Dan. Good evening Dan I'm doing very well, welcome to Golf Talk Live Good, thank you Thank you for, ha- for having me on your show Well I appreciate it And, and thanks, uh, I look forward to tonight's discussion Alright, so let's uh, I've given sort of a general overview uh, If you will, uh, of World Golf Network Um but let's talk a little bit about um, essentially the, the effectiveness of networking uh, and how it helps uh, or how it can help uh, grow, grow your business. Talk a little bit about that, basically, the concept.
0: Right. So, um, networking actually is probably one of the least expensive ways to grow a business, but it does take time, and it, uh, you have to network properly with the right people, otherwise, it's not effective. Um, and the reason why networking is so powerful is because rather than you doing all the sales yourself as a business, you actually have other people looking out for you, referring you business, and speaking well of you, and you always uh, think better of a company when someone else speaks about you than you speak about yourself. So uh, we basically uh, you know, brought back the old-fashioned way of using golf as a business tool and actually It's already been a great networking tool for other people, but we just organize it a little bit better so that we actually would recommend people to play golf with people who could be natural referral partners for each other.
1: Right. So this is essentially why you call uh, or refer to golf as the business sport, and why a lot of business people use golf to grow their, in in turn, grow their businesses. Talk a little bit about, you know, because I think people may misunderstand. It's not just about going out and, and, you know, hitting the ball around the golf course and and shooting a great score. Um, Talk about what kinds of things sort of happen out in the golf course as a a business owner, what some of the things, uh, maybe some of the discussions that come. It's not all, um, you know, dollars and cents. There's obviously some camaraderie and and having fun and and networking, but uh, also building relationships is essentially the key uh, to successful business, is building those relationships. So talk a little bit about that, if you wouldn't mind.
0: Sure. So uh, golf actually, not too many people know this, but golf was actually first uh, created as an interview process, not really as, as a game. And uh, people, and the reason why women did not play golf in, the, in, the, in, the, you know, for many years, is because women were not in business. And golf was really created to qualify who you're actually playing with. It's, it's, it's actually quite uh, revealing in terms of who you're playing with. So when you play a round of golf with someone, you'll find out if they're a cheater, if they lie, how they handle stress, how they communicate with others. Right. You learn so much about that person that you actually feel very comfortable. If, they're, if you're on, on a positive light with that person, or quite the opposite, where I don't trust that person at all, and I would never want to work with that person. But it's so powerful to actually, in one round of golf, learn so much about a person that you really feel like you are, have a very strong comfort level, and the relationship is, is relatively deep after that one round of golf. So right. uh, really, right. that's why golf is so powerful, and people who use golf for business do so much business off of because. They literally have a big edge up over everyone else because if you've taken someone out for golf and that person has a trust level with you, you've you've knocked down so many walls already that you can actually work with that company so much easier as long as you have a decision maker you worked with.
1: Right, and, and this is a great opportunity for business owners, too, to understand this through, through the World Golf Network. And I'll give you a good example, uh, Dan. You know, I've been involved in sales for, for many, many years um, over the past, uh, well, several decades. And one of the things that I always understood, and, and obviously I enjoyed playing golf as a game, and of course I teach golf, um, but one of the things that I came to, to understand very quickly um, during my, my sales tenure, if you will, is the average sales call? You're lucky if you get anywhere from 15 to maybe 20 minutes of your client's attention, of your prospect or your client's uh, potential client's attention. Whereas on the golf course, you may have them for several hours, depending on on um, you know where you're playing and, and the conditions and things like that. So instead of now having that person's interest or uh, their captive interest for maybe 15, 20 minutes. You've now got them on the golf course, and as you just pointed out, there's a lot of information that you can learn uh, over the course of, say, three or four hours, again, depending on on, uh, how long you're playing for. So it's a very valuable information-gathering process wrapped up in a a game, essentially, correct?
0: Yeah, 100%. And, um, again, the the relationship that's built on the golf course is uh, so strong because of the fact that Whether you're good or bad in the game, you both are basically—you know—you're both uh, going together through the process the same way, and you're both—you know—have a lot of time to get to know each other, um, both personally and business-wise. So you feel comfortable at the end of that round whether that person is someone you really want to continue a relationship with or not.
1: Right. Right. And you know, know, one of the things the things things that people, a lot of, especially people very uh, new to business and that don't, I don't think, really understand or grasp is it's not always so much what you know, but who you know. So you want to be able to get to know the right people. Um, there's nothing worse than, you know, stopping in at a company and, and again, I'm not saying this as a criticism to, to organizations, but, you know, talking to the receptionist for 20 minutes about your product is not going to necessarily guarantee um, success, you want to get to the decision-making people. So this is essentially what you're offering through the World Golf Network is the ability to network with other business leaders in their, their respective um, organizations that have the, the powers to make uh, the ultimate decision. So if they're interested in what you have to offer or vice versa, you're now dealing with the, the key decision-makers, and that's essentially what the platform that you're trying to develop here, correct?
0: Correct. And, and also, there's another part of it. It's not really about the sales directly. It's really more about the overall sales. So uh, what I mean by that is that when a, when a company comes into the program, we qualify for them, who they are as a business, what they do, and who would be the best referral partners for that business, not necessarily who would be the best client. Because as a referral partner, that, right. that company right. might refer them four or five clients Rather than meeting someone who might, you know, be one or you know may or may not work with them directly,
1: right? And that's much more powerful and, and that's, in, in, that's in so a, many ways. Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, you know, and, and again, having that information as a business owner uh, is invaluable. Now, a question that somebody I, I can guarantee that there's people that are listening tonight that uh, may have their, their own business and they're thinking about um, you know organizations such as yours, and they're thinking, okay, well that sounds great. I'd love to be able to go out and play golf. Um, but golf can be a little pricey depending on where you're playing. So how do they, uh, you know, give some idea, again, by being involved or or associated with an organization like yours, how they can get out there and increase their business without not necessarily having to spend a grand fortune to do so. Talk about some of the benefits there. Yeah, sure. So I
0: actually, uh, prior to running this business, I used to run a marketing firm, and and one of the biggest challenges – that most small to mid-sized companies have is they don't have enough money to hire um, a salesperson really to go out there and and bring in the leads and get in front of the right people. And if they got in front of the right people many times, they being the owner of their own business have the passion and care about their own business enough that they'll do a good job to actually uh, showcase what they do and and how they do it and and be able to get the right people to get involved and, and actually buy their products and services. But uh, a small to mid-sized company doesn't necessarily have 50000 to, 50 to $60,000 to hire a good salesperson to get those leads in front of them. But in a situation like our program, I've actually kind of uh, c- collaborated with all, the, all the, l- the right business owners and executives who could help each other, work together as a team, and help each other walk the, them into the doors of those business owners. And rather than ha- them have to do everything on their own, they're now working with a group of other people like-minded who can help each other. And so the people who are in the system are now, again, they're not necessarily thinking about how they could sell their product or service. It's how they could help the other members in the group do more business. And that will eventually come back to them when everyone's thinking about them as well. So uh, uh, so, the cost of our program is about – it's about 10% of what it would cost you to hire a salesperson. Right.
1: So, so, so yeah, rather, you're, you're, rather than you you're paying all the sense, money you yourself, you gotta, now you're
0: basically paying a small fee to be part of a system where everyone's looking out for each other and everyone's helping each other get access to the right people. And imagine, and imagine that you, instead of you having a salesperson, you have uh, 50 or 60 business owners who are all there thinking about you and talking to their clients about your business.
1: Yeah, I mean – And and what a great opportunity opportunity for any business to be in, 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 um, um, you know, know, as you said, you talk about the lead generation generation, uh, that comes out of this. And it's really being a part of a networking group. It's not just, as you said, about necessarily selling your products to to the group, although that happens as well. well. It's about about really really through your network. Having a a sales force that's going to go out and do some of the legwork when maybe it's not always convenient for you to do it or, as you said, hire somebody to do it, you've now got maybe 50 or 60 other businesses that are essentially helping to sell your product or uh, certainly talk about your service, which ultimately is going to um, come back to you, uh, and you're doing the same thing for their uh, businesses. So it's kind of like having um, a a sales force, if you will, um, that you don't have to pay. That's doing some of the legwork for you, correct? for
0: you, correct? That's right. And 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 they happen to be better than a salesperson because they own their own business. And when they're referring you, it comes across much more uh, truthful and honest than sure. someone is selling you from as a salesperson it's trying to make commission.
1: Right, right, right exactly. Right, exactly. Um, so you obviously um, – talk about uh, uh, some of the membership options. Let's talk about some of the benefits. You've mentioned obviously a few right now, but let's get into a little bit more depth. So how does it work? So if I, it, let's say if there's business uh, owners listening out there tonight, what's the first step? What do they need to do and, and how do they uh, go about doing it? And then what are some of the right. benefits of uh, 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 being involved yeah, so there's, with the there's, golf there's three levels uh, of
0: membership. We have a beginner membership for those who are not comfortable with the game of golf, and we actually give them five golf lessons as part of a package before they actually come into the program so they feel that they can get involved with the group and, and not feel embarrassed to basically play, so play with the rest of the members. Um, we, the, mm-hmm. Within the group itself, as you mentioned prior, we actually have two levels of uh, players. We have what we call a social level player which are people who basically have a handicap of over 27 or they play over 100, which is actually quite common. There are a lot of golfers who don't, can't break 100. Sure, sure. Right. And for those golfers, right. just have a, they have to they play best ball, as you mentioned before again, and it just keeps the game going. Yep. It's, we, we say in our program, it's not a sin to play bad golf, it's a sin to play slow golf. So as long as you're moving along, everyone's mm-hmm. happy, everyone's moving, and it's an individual game, so you're really playing against yourself anyway in the game of golf. So that's the uh the second yeah, I was gonna say the second level is is you're basically just in the group as either a social member or a competitive member based on your handicap. And then we have also a premium membership, and the premium membership gives you two free qualified guests at every group golf outing, every cocktail event that we host, and you can actually take care of your clients, prospective clients, your vendors, and as long as they're business owners, they can come to these events and functions and it helps all the other members meet more more people. It helps you take care of your, the people that you want to take care of, and it also gives uh, you actually more power because then when people know that you brought all these guests, people say, wow, that person knows a lot of great people. I want to get, to get to know that person even better, and I want to see if I can work with that person and do some business with them.
1: Yeah. What do you say to, to the business, uh, again, sort of going back to what I mentioned a little a while ago, um, and, again, I know it. You know, everybody doesn't have to be out there every week playing golf necessarily, but what do you say to businesses that, that might be interested in what you have to offer, but they're saying, well, you know, I don't have a lot of time and I'm just a small business here, um, I, you know, I'm not always going to be able to get out there and play golf like that. What do you say or how do you advise them, um, at, again, to some of the benefits and why they should be setting aside that time as opposed to maybe doing other things that are obviously counterproductive for, for their business in general.
0: Right. So um, a lot of people are, are more comfortable on the phone making cold calls, which I'm actually amazed at because I find that to be one of the most difficult things to do. But um, right. in our system, we, we, we actually have a, uh, a very minimal expectation. The very lowest expectation is one day per month that company is going to dedicate to basically being in front of other business owners and executives and having face time and building those relationships. So every business owner truly can take one day per month out of their schedule and and devote to growing their business. And if they can't do that, then chances are they are probably spinning their wheels and not going to go very far in their business. However, uh, we actually recommend that every company spend at least two days per month to do it, because how we work it is that one day per month, they're meeting all the members and the members are there meeting each other, thinking about each other and referring each other opportunities. But one day per month we want to work with them as well where we actually use our database of about 5,000 contacts that we know personally and we'll actually bring out someone which we think is going to be, again, a good referral partner for that company. And and they, in return, will bring out a guest which they think might be a good fit for the organization so that they can actually have someone speak about them in the the group.
1: Yeah, and and it sounds to me like really you're feeling a, a void. That, I mean, there's obviously been lots of different golf groups and golf outings out there, but really what the World Golf Network is doing is trying to bring businesses together, um, and it's not really about the game, is it? It's really about um, the opportunities as business owners to be able to help one another, because ultimately, if, if my business is being helped and I'm helping your business and, and sort of continuing on down the, the, the chain, if you will, or down the line, ultimately that makes a healthy economy because we're all interacting in that. And really golf is just sort of the um, icing on the cake, if you will. It just happens to be a particular game that has been well-suited for that type of interaction. Would that be pretty accurate?
0: It's exactly right. Uh, Golf actually is called the business sport for a reason. It's the only place and the only uh, kind of game or activity or event that you have more time to get to know each other and talk to each other than you are actually in playing the game. If you think about it, when you take your strokes, whether it be 80 strokes or 100 strokes or even 120 strokes, those strokes actually took you seconds, maybe a few minutes, but you're out there for four hours. Right. And in between those other those minutes, you're talking all the time, and you're getting to know the person that you're with. So it's very hard to, in any, almost any other activity to get to know someone that well.
1: Yeah, and, and, and that, as you alluded to earlier, is extremely important because, you know, you know, again, more I often call, not, whether it's cold calling, cold calling uh, or whether or you, or you know dropping, into, dropping into, a business, into a business, you really have you really very, have very little very, time um, uh, to be able to make an impression, impression on, on a potential client, client or, a or a prospective client. client. And, and on, at the, and the golf, golf course, course you're, you're able be be to be learn a lot about, about these individuals. individuals and, and by, by networking, networking and communicating through these different organizations, you're able to again create a platform of having, you know, 40, 50, 60, depending on what the circumstances are, individuals going out there, now spreading the word about your organization, and conversely, you're doing the same about them. Uh, So it's kind of like having, um, as I said earlier, uh, a sales force out there networking for you, and you've created an environment that has allowed them to come together, and again, you're using golf as, as sort of the vessel, really, of bringing them together.
0: That's right. And, and the last thing I would say is that in addition to the golf, we actually run non-golf events in the off-season. So year-round, they're getting access to each other, building relationships, and enjoying each other's company so that they hopefully want to keep doing business together.
1: Right. Now, you obviously have some golf partners. Uh, you have a, a World Golf Network Pro that uh, is available, too, as you mentioned, to some of the newer members that maybe come in that, that don't maybe have a, a high golf skill level uh, they're able to, to take advantage of that at least at a, an elementary level or beginning level um, as, as sort of a new member, if you will. And then if they want to, you know, obviously pursue that further on, then there's options there as well. But So you make it very enticing for a business person who maybe has not played a lot of golf but maybe has had an interest and doesn't know how to get started. So that's something that you offer as well uh, that you mentioned earlier, correct?
0: Yes, yeah, so that's the beginner membership, and 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 we actually have a number of members who, who take advantage of that because, um, you know, it's if they don't feel comfortable playing with everybody, they're going to feel uh, <laughs> uneasy about actually even the relationship. And we want people to be comfortable, enjoy themselves, and really take it. Uh, you know, the, we're probably the only golf group out there that doesn't match people up based on handicap. We match them based up on business, and and that's very different wow. from most groups because. It's not about the golf in our program. It's more about the connections, the relationships, and the
1: business. Right, right. And as I right. said, golf is is really secondary, and it's just a vessel that's being used to bring to help bring people together. <clears throat> but it's not the primary function of, of the group. And and I like that because um, they're able to um, to access information um, throughout the networking that goes on in your organization. But at the same time, they're also able to have some fun through different social events and and obviously on the golf course as well. And they're able to learn a lot about each other. And that helps, too, as a business owner, the more knowledgeable uh, the other members become about my business, the more confident they're going to be able to uh, refer my business to potential uh, clients of theirs or business associates outside of the group. Um, so this again creates that that perfect platform for them, and, and I think uh, it sounds like you've got a, a really great network uh, of business uh, professionals. Now you've been doing this since this was launched in 2003. What's the future? What do you see the future of the World Golf Network? What sort of your long-term uh, vision have you got uh, for it? Right. So uh, we expect that in the next
0: two years to actually fill up this uh, a local area that we currently run, which is in New York and New Jersey, and. Um, we draw mostly from Manhattan, Westchester, uh, Rockland, and North Jersey right now in terms of our uh, members, um, but we actually hope to find partners who want to open up other territories <laughs> for us, like Long Island and Connecticut and um, Central Jersey and, and Pennsylvania and other places around the local area. And uh, our, our ultimate goal is to actually uh, franchise the model for people to actually be able to buy territories anywhere they want to open up groups like this.
1: Right. And and I can see that being a very successful uh, opportunity because there's so many great markets throughout, you know, not only the United States, but uh, ultimately uh, once that market has been filled, you may want to go into other areas like Canada and you can even branch it over into areas in Europe and things like that. It's definitely a great model. Um, what's been some of the feedback from some of the members? What, what are some of the things that they like most about being part of the World Golf Network that you've uh, I'm sure you get lots of uh, great feedback and things. And are there things that they would like to see that are not maybe currently available, or some suggestions of things that they would like to see as add-ons uh, for future uh, development with uh, with your network?
0: Uh, yeah. So the the things that people like the most are it, the first thing is that it forces the owner of the business to get out of the office once in a while because it's uh, if, it, the old saying is if you don't put it on your calendar, you're not going to you're not going to do it. And, and this kind of forces right. you to say, you know, these days I'm going to be out of the office. Uh, you know, my assistant or my um, administrative staff or whoever is going to be there to answer calls and follow up for them, it, they have a day off to actually to, not, you know, to relax a little bit and, and to walk away from what's going on in the, in the world. And that's, a, that's important and valuable to a lot of people, and they really appreciate that. Um, the second thing is that um, the relationships that are actually made are really quite strong. Uh, the, um, the people become really close friends, and it's not just business, it's also social, where people actually do you know, like each other and enjoy each other's company. And, and it's always great to make more uh, quality relationships, uh, no matter you know, who you are and where you are. Uh, that's, that's another big part of it. And, and, the, and the number one most important reason, the reason why people actually join the group, is some people actually have doubled their business within two to three years by being part of the group because they have access to thousands of executives, which they normally wouldn't have access to.
1: Right. Right. Right exactly. right.
0: exactly. Let me ask and, oh, in, ter- they, in terms of the says... things they're looking for. Sorry. Uh, Sorry. The biggest thing they're looking for actually is a lot of the good golfers want to play with other good golfers. And a lot of the, the not so good golfers may want to play with people who are not so good as well. So how we run our system right. is that right. up to the first hundred companies that join our group, they actually play together as, a, as one group. But once we reach 100 members, we break it into two separate groups so that the uh, social golfers will play with each other and the competitive golfers will play with each other as well. Right.
1: Um, now, now, one of the things, obviously, things with, obviously, with things like things social media, media and, 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 you know, uh, so the advances uh, in cell phones, cell phones and things, things, like that, things like that, answer me this, and this is something that, you know, we, we see know, a lot, see with, a lot with, with, you know, with, you know, people, people whether they're walking they're down the walking street, down street or whatever, whatever they're, they're constantly they're on their phone. Is this something that you try to discourage uh, within the group obviously you know business owners do need to keep in touch with their business and things like that but is this something that uh, is kind of frowned upon that you don't want people when they're you know at these different events and things, they're constantly on their phone or they're not really engaging what do you try to do in that because that's that has become a big issue um, for a lot of business people is you know there's nothing worse than going out and, and having a business meeting and You know, three of the people that are there are, you know, constantly fiddling around on their phone. Is this something that you try to talk about um, and discourage, or or how do you handle that?
0: Yeah, so we we basically, when someone joins the organization, and actually before we accept them in, they have to accept certain um, uh, rules and regulations that we have within the program. And this is really common etiquette in golf for people who actually have played a lot of golf, but a lot of people who don't play golf very much don't realize what is etiquette. So. Go, uh, when, you're on the, when you're playing with us on the golf course, we don't allow the phones. Uh, we actually tell people that if it's an emergency, you have a, a medical situation, or you have something which uh, like a crisis going on, you can take a call for, right. you know, for a few seconds, but we don't want people on those phones. And If we see people abusing that privilege, we take the phones away from them. Um, and the reason why is right. because, think about it yourself, you, you're spending four to five hours to get to know the people in your cart. If you're on your phone, you basically have not, you're losing that whole opportunity, and it's very disrespectful right. for the other people in, 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 that, in that golf cart. You're basically saying that my call is more important than you are. And if that's the case, then why did I spend my time to be with you? So you, if you cannot uh, take your, you know, turn your phone off for four hours at a time, then we tell you then you should stay in the office and, and basically go, go back to your phones. Because the point of being there is to get off right. the phone, is to get to know the people in the room, and to build that relationship. And you can't do it if you're on your phone.
1: Yeah, and that, yeah, that that's, that's an important that's issue important um, with, with any with organization, obviously, but particularly but with, yours, with because yours, because really the premise of your organization is to network, network with like-minded business people that, that, uh, people that um, can create an opportunity and help, help one another. And and you're right, there's nothing worse than, than you know having somebody that's, somebody that's non-engaging, non-engaging or not uh, you know participating uh, with uh, the group. And I like the, fact, I like that the fact that you have, have um, you know, and I hate to use the term rules, but essentially there are rules. Um, to be part of the the organization because I think it sets a tone right up front and it kind of weeds out, it helps you as well, weed out the serious people from people that are just, you know, sort of, hey, this sounds great and I'm going to join um, and, and get involved. So it kind of sets a parameter in saying, look, you're welcome to be here, but there's some guidelines and rules that, that need to be followed in order to make it an effective experience for all parties involved, not just the, the new ones coming in, correct? Exactly, yes.
0: And, and, and it's not just that, that rule. We, you, know, we, um, you know, a big part of our rules and regulations are, again, as I mentioned before, pace of play. Uh, people really don't care. That right. you're, you know Everyone thinks that everyone's looking at them and watching them, but actually everyone's playing their own game. And the, one of the biggest rules we have is that people need to keep pace of play because we have a rule that we don't allow people to play more than five hours uh, at any of our golf outings. And if it, if it, if once five hours has uh, passed – we serve lunch, which is actually we have a breakfast, golf, and lunch, and we serve lunch <laughs> at five hours, and if they're not there, they're missing lunch because we feel five hours is enough right, to play right. golf for for
1: any outing. Right. Yeah, well said. Well said. Um, yeah, I, I can't couldn't agree uh, any more than that. Um, so, Dan, let me ask you this. Are there um, specific courses that, that you're involved with, or how does that work? I mean, obviously, you don't just sort of show up at the golf course and say we've got 100 uh, – Members here, um, you know, of my organization, are there certain courses in your area that you're sort of partnering with that allow you to uh, to use their facilities? Yeah, so we actually
0: have seven golf courses uh, per chapter. Um, the chapter we're currently running is from North Jersey up to Rockland County. Uh, they're all the courses are within mm-hmm. within an hour of the GW Bridge, so we have a lot of Manhattan members as well. And um, the um, the courses that we play are really the nicest courses that we feel. Uh, we can get onto within our budget, and um, how it sure. works is that once a, once a company is a member of our group, they play for free. What, what, you know, any business owner of their of their group, it could be a partner, it could be you know another senior executive, as long as they're a decision maker of that business, can play on behalf of that company. And if they'd like to bring additional guests out, they can do so at our cost as well.
1: Oh, okay. So they want, as I said, they want to get clients,
0: prospective clients. They they, they 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 want to make a mini outing of it and, and take out a, you know you know eight or nine of their clients they can do that as long as they are qualified guests and as long as we don't have too many of the same people already in you know in the room
1: sure sure, sure. no sure. I, agree. I agree um no that that's, uh, great. that's great so so having having if if, if, somebody, if wants somebody wants, wants to, um, to um become involved, become involved with, involved with, with the, the world golf, golf, golf network, network, network what's the first what, step what, what, do, first do, they what do they need to do?
0: Well, the first step is to look at the website, which is worldgolfnetwork.com, because on our site we have a lot of video showing sample events. It uh, tells people what we do, how we do it. The application is actually on there. Um, and we want them to understand what they're, actually, you know, what they're actually looking into before they actually give us a call. And assuming they like what they see, then we ask them to give us a call directly and our content information is there or email or phone number. Um, and then we just, we'll actually sit down and talk to them and learn a little bit about, that, about their business uh because we don't accept any member that we can't help. So if they want to meet people we don't know, we do sure. not accept them into our group because the whole point of the program is we want people to meet people that can help them. And we want this to be a win-win situation that everyone walks away, you know, with more business than they, they came in with.
1: Right. Now you have all you have obviously all multiple chapters. chapters. If um, um if you have somebody gets in touch with you, do you put them in obviously geographically based on where they're located located. what do you do in a situation where you've sort of exceeded the limitation for a chapter but somebody's still interested in becoming part of uh, the member uh, network how do you handle a situation like that you obviously don't want to turn away that somebody could be qualified Uh, do you have other options or what what, uh, how do you handle a situation like that
0: right so when we're filled up with a certain category of business we actually have people on a wait list so There does come times when people basically for one reason or another drop off the program, and it could be that they sell the business, they retire, um, they could be um, in a situation where the partners um, have have a a difference of opinion. Uh, There's all different things that happen, and people sometimes will come out of of the system. So when that does happen, um, if someone is on the wait list, they'll be the first one to be called to be uh, asked if they still want to come in and they get involved at at that point. The other thing is that when they join the group, they're grandfathered for life, so their price will never go up, which is kind okay. of cool because the reason we do that is we want people to use the program not for a short period of time but for a long period of time because the longer they're in the group, the more business will actually happen. It actually grows exponentially because people know them that much better, refer them that much more, and they those relationships are that much stronger. They do more business together.
1: Yeah, well said. Well said. Um, um, now, if you have a business – let's say, and the and principal owner, the owner is a member, and member, for whatever reason, whatever reason, either they've sold the business uh, or they've, uh, or you, they know, wielded, you know, willed it. let's say, for argument's sake, to, to, uh, to offspring, uh, um, and they're lo- and no they're longer so part, part of that particular organization, they can they somebody else somebody then within that same organization that now is maybe heading, head, let's say, for instance, the president, president uh, of the company, uh, the company retires or retire, passes away, and somebody else has now stepped into that position, is that membership still... Held in place held in for the place place new member if member they, choose, they choose, or do they have to go through the whole process?
0: No, it's, it's a corporate membership. So when they when they join, the company okay. owns the membership, not the individual. And any of their owners okay. or partners or senior executives can use that membership. So the only reason that they would lose their membership is if they cancel that membership, and then they would they would have to okay. they, then they would have to go start the process over again because at that point we don't know who's coming in, who's working with us, and also the price point will be different because they're now starting all over again.
1: Right, okay. okay. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Well, Dan, it, it, it sounds to me like it's it's really a win win situation. Um, and as I said, you know, uh, alluded to throughout the discussion, it's not so much about the golf as it is about building a networking community of like minded business people and particularly business owners to be able to get together and network um, and and utilize. Uh, each other's resources to the best of their abilities. And you've just, again, very uh, tailor-made it, if you will, uh, around the game of golf. And it sounds like you've got a fantastic organization, and I can see it uh, continuing to grow. Obviously, it's been very successful for a number of years. Um What would you like to leave as maybe some last thoughts for some of the listeners out there? I do have a lot of uh, folks up in the New Jersey area. Some may be already members, but um, maybe if you've got some business owners that might be listening to the program tonight, uh, what message do you most want to, uh, to relay to them?
0: Yeah, the real thing is that whether they join my group or not, uh, they, you know, golf is something which is really a powerful business tool. And um, I actually personally created this whole process because I literally have been able to grow businesses dramatically by using the game of golf, and the hardest part of uh, the game of golf is getting the right person in front of you and being able to spend the time and get to know them. So I have tried to make it easier for people, but even if they do it on their own, I really uh, recommend that people figure out um, how they can use golf for their business and really get, you know, build those relationships and get in front of uh, people who they really want to know better so that they can actually make life easier. It's a, it, I always said it's it's easier to work with people that you know and trust than people who are just a commodity that you're getting off the internet, or that someone used, uh, said, "Oh, you know, uh, you're looking at based on price that you're picking a company." So, uh, you know, I always said that, you know, even if you get a cheaper deal with someone, uh, if they do a bad job, you actually are spending a lot more money because you don't know they're good or not good until you actually use them. And right. uh, if you've got a relationship right, exactly. with someone, you know, yeah, you, yeah, even if you're paying 10% more or, or whatever it is, if you know you're getting a good job done. It's, it's in the long run, you have more peace of mind, and in, in the long run, you might actually spend less money because you have less headaches.
1: Yeah, and, and the nice thing too is, you know, about having that is you're you're getting a, a wide spectrum of, of businesses. It's not just you know all bankers or all uh, you know real estate or that type of thing. You obviously have a very broad spectrum of all different types of businesses. So uh, again, that really gives, you know, when somebody's out uh, in in the business world doing business, they've got really a, a, a vast spectrum of um, companies that they're representing in, in a sense. I mean, in addition to their own company, they're out and say, hey, I, you know, I know somebody, or I, I've got some great contacts in this field of, of interest that you may, you know, they may be looking for, um, you know, somebody that that would qualify, and right away they've got. Basically, a list of you know upwards of a hundred people that they can that they confidently say to them, "Hey, um, I'm going to put you in touch with so and so, or here's their information." So that really is, is the premise of your organization, correct?
0: Yeah, it really makes them more powerful themselves because when you're a go-to person, sure. people come to you for for whatever they need, whether it be a, a plumber or a, a immigration attorney or a construction company if you have the resources in front of you that you can actually say, Hey, I, I have the owner of the company that I think will be a good connection for you. You look very powerful and you look very strong and people will come back to you for other things. And the more people come to you, the more sure. likely they're going to also do business with you. Right.
1: Exactly. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah and, so that's a great asset. So just one more time, one more time Dan, if you wouldn't mind just wouldn't for mind. those that are maybe interested in learning more where they can go and how they can get in touch with you.
0: Right. So, um, world is our website. Uh, if they want to email me directly, it's dpinkus. Uh, my name is Dan Pinkus, Pincus uh, at worldgolfnetwork.com. Um, also, I've done a lot of marketing on YouTube. If they search uh, Dan Pinkus or World Golf Network, they'll, they'll see a lot of video on what we do and how we do it. Um, and really, um, like I said, the, the program is really about just uh, helping executives do more business through uh, relationships that uh, – uh, they would uh, you know, not necessarily have uh, without us. And that's uh, obviously, like you said before, the, the more you know and the more people you know, life is easier, and it's not always what you know but who you know.
1: Right, exactly. Well said. Well, then I want to thank you very much for joining me tonight on, on Golf Talk Live. It's uh, been an interesting discussion, and I think um, the listeners have, will have a better insight. And uh, if they want to get more information, again, they can go to worldgolfnetwork.com. Uh, And all of the information is laid out there and also ways to to contact Dan. So Dan, um, thank you for joining me tonight on golf talk live and much continued success with the world golf network.
0: Thanks again for everything. Appreciate being on the show.
1: All right. No problem. problem. Have a great one. one. You too. All right. That was my very special guest, Dan Pincus uh, from the world golf network. Um, Definitely a great uh, organization. Again, if you want to, Um, get in touch with Dan or you want to learn more about the organization, go to worldgolfnetwork.com and all the information is there, uh, including his contact information. I want to thank Jamie uh, Leno-Zimron for joining me tonight on the Coach's Corner panel. And I apologize for those that you tuned in um, that, uh, unfortunately, Bill and Chuck weren't able to join us tonight, uh, but that sometimes happens here on the panel Um, but uh, we'll get them the next time. But I want to thank Jamie for doing a fantastic job and and helping me hold down the fort on the very first Coach's Corner panel of 2018. Um, Got a a great panel uh, discussion up for next week uh, as well. So I hope you come back and join us, plus another uh, interesting guest. And uh, I just want to take this opportunity to um, thank all of the listeners worldwide for faithfully tuning in. And it's really through your uh, consistent and um your enthusiasm and also uh your listenership that really helps me to uh to keep the the motion going if you will with the show I enjoy doing it I get to talk with a lot of great uh talented coaches and teacher professionals authors and entrepreneurs like my my special guest tonight and it's uh again through their participation and guest appearances that uh make Golf Talk Live a first class show uh thanks to all the uh sponsors and supporters of the show Thanks again to Jamie Leno-Zimron and Dan Pincus. Uh, Dan, of course, is the founder of the World Golf Network. Thanks, guys. I look forward to having another great show next week here on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody. Have a great weekend, and I'll see you next Thursday right here Golf Talk Live. Bye-bye. With
2: the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.